If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. When you start the game, you are immediately transported to underwater in the Arctic fjords and you are Nora, a juvenile orca who is experiencing her first migration to the fjords. And these whales have culture the same way that humans have culture. So having an understanding of that made it click for me that like they are so much like us in a way that we don't process. What if you could experience the magic of life underwater among Norway's Arctic fjords from the perspective of a young orca? That is exactly the experience which explorers Dr. Louise Edwards, Tiffany Duong, and Aya Walraven have created with their new project, Found in the Fjords. Technically, Found in the Fjords is a VR game based on their adventures, but it's much more than that. Louise is a geoscientist, educator, and XR developer, while Tiffany is a writer educator and speaker who advocates for the ocean and our planet. And Aya is a web-based media and emerging tech designer. Louise and Tiff talked about their experiences creating Found in the Fjords. Louise, Tiff, if ever there was a passion project with a great story behind it, Found in the Fjords is it. Would you tell me the story of how that came about, please? Absolutely. So I got, I've been kind of into... VR projects that really focus on kind of earth and environmental science for a little while, kind of the confluence of a few interests. And I heard from a contact I made through the Virtual World Society called Angelina Dayton about this competition being run by the UN called the Metaverse for the SDGs. And I was working on a few projects that kind of aligned with some of those targets, but nothing that was... I could attach to one. And so I had this back in my mind, like I'd really like to find a project that kind of can align to one of these these SDGs, both because I think they're really important, but also like I kind of liked the idea of submitting something for this competition. And, And then a couple of months later, maybe, I got the opportunity to apply for participation in an expedition to Norway's Arctic fjords and all women science and art expedition that would take us to some wonderful places and we would have the experience of observing and researching orca during the herring run and while snorkeling, which was just like, wow, this is what an experience, what an opportunity to bring this place to more people and share that awe and wonder through VR and it's life underwater, life below water, SDG number 14. I think this might be the opportunity. So I applied and was lucky enough to get onto that expedition. But, and then in November last year, we came together and Tiff and I were also on that trip and they have different reasons and different origin stories for getting onto that trip, which are also interesting. And we came together and I was kind of looking for a team to work on this project and getting to know Aya and Tiff. I was, and anybody in that group would have been really valuable team members, but Aya and Tiff both were interested in coming aboard and 
since we got back, we've been kind of working together to bring Found in the Fjords to life, each bringing kind of our different perspectives and different skill sets. And Tiff, how did you come on board with this as a, not just a storyteller, but an ocean storyteller and adventurer is what your LinkedIn says. Absolutely. So Lou was the first person I met on the expedition. I was the last person to arrive of our, you know, first cohort. And when we were just talking, we were randomly paired in the same cabin fortuitously. And I remember her, you know, mentioning this UN video game design contest. And that's completely foreign to me. Like I am a analog person. Like I write for newspapers and magazines, like very tactile, like at most the stories go online, but I'm quite analog in my work and my storytelling. And so like hearing about a video game and, you know, trying to have it touch upon the SDGs was a completely different world for me. And I was like, oh, wow, like this woman is so smart and so fun and like, what a cool goal. And I didn't really think that it would be interfacing with me necessarily. I just thought it was an awesome project. And then we we shared this incredible, like life-changing experience together in the Arctic. Like you, I don't think, I think it's really hard to go through something that extreme and, you know, challenging, like physically and emotionally and energetically with a group of people in a small confined space and not feel bonded, you know, on a very deep level. And add to that, that everyone on this trip was the most incredible, like each one was the most incredible person I've ever met. Like it was just the most amazing experience. So as the trip is coming to a close, you know, I remember we're walking down a street in one of our ports and Lou just asked me like, oh, like, would you like maybe want to help? And I was like, yeah, like I felt so lucky that she wanted, you know, help and collaboration and input. And I, I didn't know what that would look like from me necessarily yet. But as we started meeting every week and working together, I came to see how all our skill sets were so complementary, and I've gotten to challenge myself and my own storytelling skills in new ways to write for a video game like that. Instead of writing a story where you know the beginning, middle, and end, you have to write a story where the player is the character and gets to choose their adventure, you know, and that's a totally different way of proceeding about exploring the world. It's, it's so neat, and I feel so privileged to be a part of it. This looks absolutely breathtaking and spatial. I have had the pleasure of seeing on a field trip with XR Women what you're working on with Found in the Fjords. Before we look at what this is going to be when you come out with it, what was one moment from that trip that struck each of you with a sense of wonder that, yeah, we got to get this in the game? Well, for me, so our game obviously is centered around Orca, but for me, the moment was having a really peaceful experience with a comb jellyfish (laughs) and it was the calm. I never felt unsafe or anything surrounded by orca, but I always felt a little bit overwhelmed by the speed of the encounters and how much was going on when they were passing you and, and doing their thing. But, and sometimes there's just, there's a certain calm to being in the ocean that I've always really, really responded to. And just being in the water, and just that moment where I could just really be present 
in that place was when I was really observing and looking at this comb jelly. And, and this would happen. This happened a few times. And from that experience, it was really important that we featured that creature in our game. And as such, we have Clara, the comb jelly, who is our game guide and who provides a lot of that overarching educational content and environmental context to provide for the game. So for me, that was that instance with the jelly made me it, very important that we featured that creature in our game. Which would be fun to see because I don't know that I've ever even seen a comb jelly. How about for you, Tiff? What was one moment of wonder that you really want to get into the game or are getting into the game right now? There was one moment after a day of exploring and jumping in the water with the orcas and the humpback whales where our whole team just kind of decided together to stay floating in the water. We, no one said anything. We just didn't get back on the boat. And we were all just taking in the magnificent scenery. You know, there was like Arctic skies, like imagine just like orangey pink glow and like these magnificent mountains coming into the fjords and, you know, like emerald dark waters. And we were all just floating in it as if we were in the middle of a snow globe. And the feeling of being like so tiny in such a magnificent space and knowing that you were you were there and like a part of it but that that is a finite experience was so magical. So for me, the setting that Lou has, you know, created in our game, it really captures the magic. Like the skies are the same, the mountains feel the same, the textures, the richness, the quiet, but also the life, like all of it. She's done such a great job capturing the feeling the Arctic gave for me. And so I'm thrilled to like, when I played it for the first time, I had the same rush of feelings and like inspirations as I did in life. And that being able to capture that magic was the magic for me. It sounds absolutely magical. What do we experience when we experience found in the fjords? You put on the headset and now what's going to happen? So you, when you start the game, you are immediately transported to underwater in the Arctic fjords and you are Nora, a juvenile orca who has is experiencing her first migration to the fjords to follow the herring. And you are greeted by firstly by Clara and then by your mother so that you can begin to learn the important ways that you need to know in order to survive and thrive in the changing ocean. And for us, it was really important to capture the matriarchal structure of the orca pod. So she's learning from her mother and from her female relatives and existing in this tight family network and learning these really unique and complex skills that are going to help her thrive. So we've really kind of, so you go on this journey as you're introduced to these new challenges that you have the opportunity to learn about and overcome. So the carousel feeding and how humans have changed the landscape and these things. And I think it's a really powerful way to really start feeling a very strong empathy for a creature that is not necessarily well regarded. And and I that's something I really I'd like kind of Tiff to speak a little bit about because this idea of embodiment of the orca was something I was initially a bit like hesitant about, but it has turned out to be something really amazing about it. And this was something that came from Tiff and she can talk a little bit more about that. And indeed Tiff, why orca? Because a lot of people hear orca and go, oh killer whale. They eat seal pups. Well, that's not the whole story, is it? Absolutely not. I think 
I mean, exactly what you said is why we needed to do this, right? Like we have othered orcas from ourselves, but also from other cetaceans in a way that almost, you know, like they're, they're like the guy in the shadows, the villain, right? Even their name has killer whale, like, and inspires a lot of fear. If you tell people you're going to swim with whales, they're like, amazing. I'm going to cry. If you say killer whales or orcas, they're like, why? Right. And that's just, they're the same family, you know? And it's just a lot of unfortunate typecasting and misunderstanding about a magnificent species. So I wanted us to understand the world from the orca's point of view. And we picked a juvenile because the curiosity that, you know, young, you know, animals, whether they be human or orca experience in their environments is such a great emotion to leverage in a game. So you get to cruise along the water and see what it's like to, you know, go up and down at the water surface. You get to try out eating to learn how these orcas feed, you know, and you get to experience the curiosity as a player, but also as an orca and to understand that they are just like you. They're just curious. They're just trying to learn and have fun and, you know, be with their families and take in this new place. So I really wanted us to capture all of that. And then there's a wonderful book and film out called The Secret of Whales. And it's by this magnificent Nat Geo photographer. And his name is Brian Scary, And he captured whale culture. It's the first time we use that term, you know, in a popular sense. And these whales have culture the same way that, you know, humans have culture. So orcas in Norway eat in a different way than orcas in Seattle. And they eat different things. They eat in different ways. They communicate different. They call out different. And so just having an understanding of that made it click for me that like they are so much like us in a way that we don't process, you know? And so I just wanted us to explore a little bit into the world of whale culture, whale families, whale feeling you know, whale curiosity and, and live in that. If I'm living in the skin of Nora in your game, what's one thing I'm going to have to learn about whale culture? What do whales do that's accepted standards? I mean, the first thing you need to do is learn to eat, right? So these orcas are coming to Norway to feast on this specific herring at this specific time, this spring spawn herring, because our Zodiac guides actually told us these herring are extra nutritious. And they're fatty and this protein is so rich. So when the mom orcas eat this herring, the milk they give their calves is extra nutritious. And the moms are aware of this. So, you know, this is a special time for this pot of orca, this, you know, subspecies. And as a juvenile, you're either having milk or you're having to learn how to eat on your own. So we, you know, the missions within the game are to learn how to eat from the specific hunting style that these orcas use, it's called carousel feeding. And they make a bait ball, you know, using echolocation, swimming all around and using the whites of their bellies to disorient fish about where the surface is. So they make this tight bait ball and then they slap it with their tail and then the fish are stunned and paralyzed and then they just nibble off them one by one. It's something that only these orcas do here. So we really wanted, you know, to capture that. Then we move on and we have them learn how the orcas have adapted in real life to eating around fishing vessels because humans are a part of this ecosystem too, you know, fishermen. And so the orcas have learned how to get an easy meal off of a fishing vessel by just picking off stray fish around the nets. 
So we wanted, you know, Nora to learn that also and to understand that these whales are intelligent and learning and adapting just like we would. So those are the two main lessons that you need to learn as an orca. And then there's a bunch of cool other stuff all around. I had not seen the feeding carousel or even heard of it before I saw the videos on your YouTube channel. So that I thought was pretty exciting. Let's go with the story here. So Louise asked you, do you want to be part of this? You say, yeah, I'd love to. What happened next? You're accomplishing something with three people that usually takes a whole bunch of game developers to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think now as we're getting towards the end, we look back and say, why, why did we try to do this with three people? (laughs) But uh, yeah. So uh, later on, so Aya is kind of rounds out our little group really well. She's got quite a lot of experience in emerging tech and and sound design and and honestly anything everything. I feel like everything. and everything. She's like just quietly talented at everything. <laughs> this random thing. So I I really need to do this. Like, oh yeah, I could do that. Aya Wallraven served as the technical director, web developer, and sound producer for Found in the Fjords. So she's a really useful person to have involved and she's been synthetically developing all of our sounds and composing music to support this because such a key part of this is an emotional connection and sound is such an important part of that and underwater sounds are different and foreign and and really integral to this experience so later on i was interested in kind of aya's opinion but i I was just thinking, maybe I don't suppose she would like to be involved, would she? So I just like, so Aya, um, like, would you like to be part of it? Thinking she'd be like, yeah, nah. And she was actually genuinely excited to be asked and to get involved. So once we'd finished and we kind of had this, well, this is, we've got our team. This is great. And we have a bit of an idea of the story that we would like to tell we kind of just started moving forward. Like again, I as a very good project manager, so she kind of kept us rolling and we started meeting every week and set up a plan and got to work pretty quickly on coming up with a storyboard, both visual and written. So Tiff took control of kind of really building up this a story that had all of these elements of some linear storytelling so that we could drive people through the experience, but also those elements of kind of play your own adventure and exploratory stuff. And for someone who had never been existed in this, this storytelling world, wow. Like I sent Tiff, like I think some gameplay videos of two VR games and I, felt like three hours later, we had this like incredible storyboard that was perfectly suited for VR. So I was, I just feel lucky, so lucky that I've managed to find such people to come along on this journey. And then like I have taken most of the, the development and 3D art on. So most of, so I, at this time early on, I was just in Blender all the time building and learning how to animate and, and everything is new because this is a lot of these things I've never done before, which is probably why we've tried to do it. Because if I'd have had any idea in advance, I wouldn't have tried. So <laughs> it's, <laughs> but I think that's kind of our, a testament to our kind of attitudes as people is that we, with Tiff deciding to put an end to her comfortable life as a lawyer and jump into the unknown. And we've all kind of been willing to take those leaps career-wise and life-wise. I think we've done the same when we've been developing this 
this game is that we've seen, we've had an idea and we've just tried to do our best to make it come to reality. And when we've come up with obstacles, we've worked together really well to try and overcome them or find a solution that still gets us the outcome that we like. It's something, it's something else working on something creative with people who you consider your best friends. We also talked about collaboration and the creative process. For me, I think a lot of creators, I think this is true for Lou too, we learn to create in a bubble and alone. And the single biggest joy of this process has been doing it with Lou and Aya. Like it has been so cool to see how we each have leveraged our skill sets and then bounced them off each other to create something entirely new and different and way more amazing than any of us could have thought of. And I think, and following up on that, like that was probably the biggest challenge for me too. It's been a great joy, but what I've realized is it was really important that I did this with Tiff and Aya because the trust I have for them on so many levels has allowed me to let go of that creative control that I'm used to having and let them into that process and learned how to be part of a collaborative team. Because the way that I have since going into this more creative endeavor from my prior roles, I've just done it on my own. And that is dangerous, but also comforting in a lot of ways, right? Like, so it's taken me a lot to gradually let other people in. And Tiff and Aya have been the perfect people to teach me how to do that. And I'm really grateful for that because I think I'm a better person for it. By the way, that's a whole other story that maybe people would like to check out, Tiff, about your background as a corporate lawyer and how you became an adventurer and an ocean storyteller. But what I'd really love to know from you is what were some of the main obstacles that both of you dealt with creatively? You mentioned doing the storyboarding for VR from coming from an analog background, but what were some of the other obstacles you had to troubleshoot in order to create Found with the Fjords? For me, I mean, like when I say I'm analog, like I, I was telling Lou and I, the last video game console I owned was the first Nintendo, like Duck Hunt. Like I am that analog in the world. So imagine, you know, just like I couldn't even conceptualize what VR meant. You know, I knew what it looked like with people with goggles, but I didn't know what the experience was. So, you know, Lou recorded a couple gameplays for me so I could understand like, oh, you are in the space, you know, you are moving and choosing. And so it was, it was hard for me at first to understand how much freedom a player has within these spaces. And, and that's the point. But once I did, I was like, oh, this makes it so fun. Like, you know, you get to work with the player to create these new experiences and to, to really give them the opportunity to discover the things that we discovered in life, but in a much more accessible way, a much more affordable way you know, in a much more like widespread way. Like we can bring a lot of people to the Arctic who would never have the opportunity that we did, you know? And I think that has been such a driving force for me to overcome whatever little obstacles there might've been. Aside from that, Lou and Aya are brilliant and like they talk, they talk in tech and I'm just like, I have no idea what those words mean. And they're so kind, you know, to explain it and be like, oh, that's like a sound thing or that's this repository that, you know, and I'm like, I am so glad you guys get it because it's more than a foreign language to me. 
I can completely relate to that. You're speaking to somebody who started in radio when you cut tape with the razor blade. <laughs> and, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's amazing. What about the main creative obstacle that you had to overcome as a 3D modeler and lead on the project? What was one of the ones that you really had to troubleshoot? Oh, all of them. So I think, <laughs> <laughs> well, I when I came into this, so the games that I've kind of worked on so far have been... I've been quite clever into making them as simple as possible so that I didn't expose my lack of experience and lack of ability. And this one was the first where I was like, well, I can't get away with that. I need to actually learn some stuff. So animating models in Blender was a new thing and how to rig meshes and make them work and do all of these things. How the world existed without YouTube, I don't know. But so we were lucky enough when we were on our expedition that not only did we get to experience being in the water with orca, but we also experienced being in the water with humpback whales. And so that was incredible. Actually, the first time I dropped into the water, like there was a humpback whale just swimming in front of me. It was just, oh, it was quite the sight. And it takes you a while to kind of think like, did I just see a back whale? Like, five meters away from me, just kind of cruising past. Was that real? So for that reason, we really wanted them to feature because they were part of our experience, but also from the importance of their role in the ecosystem, because they've actually only been coming to the area for the last decade or so. So they're quite new visitors, but they're forcing the orca to change and adapt because they'll let the orca build this bait ball and then they'll just come and hump. <laughs> and get decimate a bait ball in two gulps after the orca have like <laughs> laboriously spent like an hour like shoaling and corralling these herring. So just to kind of show this complex interaction and how they adapt, we really wanted to get this featured. But it turns out that getting a humpback not only to swim, but also to expand its mouth and take a big gulp of water. This was a non-simple problem that I discovered. And though <laughs> it did result in one of my favorite, our favorite collective results. So I had, I tried to do some interesting rigging to get this, but I ended up in the most hilarious output of a, a humpback whale that just looks a bit wrong and has some, you know, instead of a nice water-filled mouth has some extra chins <laughs> and he was just a real symbol of learning from failure and tiff gave him the wonderful name paul the positive because he's there for us all teaching us that we should love ourselves and that it's all going to be just fine and for me I have had to teach myself to learn from failure. And this was a really good opportunity for me to do that. So just pushing myself to look at that and see the opportunity in Paul and not get like crestfallen was really huge. And and from a coding perspective and learning how to get the game to do what I want to do and how to optimize it for the quest to and deal with all those limitations like they there's a challenge like most days that I have to take a deep breath and move on but Paul the Positive is definitely the most fun and in fact people can see Paul the Positive on your blog and I believe also on your YouTube channel let's do a shameless plug of every place people can find what you're working yes. on and how do they find out more about the Found in the Fjords 
Oh, so many places. So when we're thinking two-dimensionally, we have a website, foundinthefjords.org. And you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. YouTube, yes, with Found in the Fjords. So at Found in the Fjords, you will find us for all of that. I think Twitter, you have to miss the S off. But everything other than that is just at Found in the Fjords. We are very, very available. And if you want to see a little bit of a taster in three dimensions, we also have a little teaser exhibit in Spatial, which you can find also by searching for Found in the Fjords. And you can jump and see some gameplay videos, learn a little bit more about the story, learn a little bit more about us, and take your time and see some of the models up close and learn a little bit more and get excited about release date. Speaking of which, when? <laughs> Good question. We're <laughs> ho- hoping by by the end of the year, we'll be reaching out to people to do some some testing for us. So if you want to contact us to become a tester, please feel free and we'll make sure we add you to the list. But yeah, so hopefully by the end of the year, we'll have something that's distributable. How exciting. Found in the fjords.org. I would assume for anybody that wants to reach out and find out more about becoming a tester for the game. Yeah. And also message us on Instagram or Twitter or anywhere like that. Yeah. What about favorite resources as you were creating Found in the Fjords? What would you recommend to anybody who's making an educational experience? I'll start with you on this one, Tiff. I I did a lot of interviews with people who, so quite traditional resources. I spoke with polar guides, Zodiac drivers, explorers, people who had been on our, our expedition. So I would say like, as you search for resources, don't omit people with the lived experience because I think the emotional connection to the place is what captures me more than necessarily the data and all of that. So I looked to the people and then I used a lot of the imagery from the place. So people and photographs were what I used. Basically, when you know the story you want to tell, talking to the people who are there on the ground and experiencing it, they can connect you to rich experiences that you might not be aware of. And then they also will have a repository of a lot of resources in terms of storytelling to give you a lot of ground truth thing. Louise, what about favorite resources that were helpful to you in this project? I mean, YouTube, I relied upon a lot for technical things to learn how to do things. So I think coming from an educational background and having the team members that we did, I think we had a lot of internal expertise that knew how to kind of conceptually craft what we wanted to do. And then there's so much, what I love about working in this space, like the creative space, especially in VR, is that there are so many people who are willing to share their expertise very freely and just want you to succeed. And they recognize that this playground is big enough for everybody. And it just makes what we have available to us richer. So I've really benefited from a rich availability of videos and in tutorials and resources about essentially how to fix, not fix, Paul, the positive is perfect, but how to, how to get what you are looking for out of your animation endeavor and how to make fish shoaling and how to make your model texture painting to make your models look right. And I used a little bit of chat GPT to do an initial lit review of stuff to do that to really find out where we should be 
some good information that we should include. And yeah, so I think that was, those are really big for me. And also I just benefited from my growing network that I've been able to put together, like just the people. And as Tiff said, the people who are on the ground, we've actually, for our voice actors, are actually all people who were on our trip with us. So they bring with them that also lived experience that they can infuse and inject into that narrative. And that was pretty important to us to kind of capture that. I hear that again and again, how important it is to have a network, how important it is to have people that will work with you, because it's pretty difficult to innovate something alone. What is next? Once that you have found in the fjords out, what's coming up for Three Otters Studio? We actually signed up for an Antarctic expedition next February to March. So we're going to the other end of the planet together with some of our other expedition mates and a whole lot of like really amazing just scientists and storytellers and researchers and explorers who will, you know, help us discover the magic of that place. And we are already, you know, thinking about what we can create from that. Oh, I can't wait to see. This is going to be incredible. Final question for my podcast is a signature question. If people can only get one thing from you, about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you like them to take away from your work? Oh, that's a good question. That's a great question. I think that anybody can do it. Like, that don't be scared by not knowing now exactly what you need. If you're interested and you have an idea and you're passionate about it, there are people around who can help you and resources for you. So just take a deep breath and jump. I think for me, what's been common between, you know, my jump from a lawyer to a writer and then working from an analog writer to a video game storyteller is don't typecast yourself, right? Don't be so narrow in thinking about your passions and your skill sets and what you might like, because you have no idea what could be awesome and could change your life. You know, like one dive changed my whole life. I never thought I would be a diver and certainly not as part of my career. I also never thought I'd be a writer and and I for sure never thought I'd be working on a really brilliant video game. So like, don't trap yourself, you know, think broadly, stay open, stay excited. Louise, Tiff, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having us. This was amazing. You and I have been listening to geoscientist and educator, Dr. Louise Edwards, team lead, developer, and 3D artist on the upcoming VR game found in the fjords, and to writer and speaker Tiffany Duong, producer and story designer. As Louise mentioned, Found in the Fjords is scheduled for release later this year. You can find out more by signing up for updates at foundinthefjords.org. That's foundinthefjords.org. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And click the button to subscribe. It's free. Our music is royalty-free production music from Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.